I am Melinda, the host of Women's Work, A Sober Perspective. I am an attorney who put fear aside and dove headfirst into doing the work to become sober. Have you also let fear hold you back from becoming sober? Have you been worried that becoming sober will affect your career or just your everyday life? Or are you already sober and just want to listen to another professional sober woman navigate through sobriety and share stories and advice learned along the way? If so, this is the podcast for you. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite mocktail and let's get to work. Welcome to Women's Work, A Sober Perspective. My name is Melinda and I am the host of this podcast. First, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of this podcast. I am so incredibly grateful that you're taking the time to listen to this and hopefully that this can resonate with you and you can relate to my story. I wanted to start this podcast because when I first quit drinking, I was looking and really needing other women's stories and to hear from other women who understood what I was going through, who could relate to me, but also that I could really relate to them and that I could hear their stories of why they needed to quit drinking, how that affected their lives, and really just a general advice that I think that I could apply to my journey. I'm a 38-year-old attorney. I live in New York State. I have been an attorney for 13 years, and I primarily, my practice has been in criminal law. For most of those 13 years, I've worked as a prosecutor. I've handled a slew of different types of crimes, but my primary focus in the last few years has been dealing with children and sexual abuse. So to say that it's a very stressful job would be an understatement. And a lot of what held me back with quitting drinking was a fear. I had a fear that people would think less of me in my career, that people would come of the opinion that I wasn't able to handle my job or question whether or not I've been handling my job appropriately or in a good, in really in a successful way. And I really let this fear hold me back from taking better care of myself. I let the fear hold me back from making better decisions and getting myself, quite frankly, the help that I needed. But of course, my story does not start there. And I think I cannot not mention this, that while this is the first episode of my podcast, this is really the seventh episode that I've recorded. So I, in making this podcast about my story, I was extremely nervous. I am really nervous right now. It's hard to really share my story with um, a public audience. And it's scary because I'm really, the vulnerability is great. And I just want to say this, that one of the main drives behind me doing this podcast, especially in sharing my story, is that I really needed to hear similar stories of what I was going through. I needed to relate to other people. And I'm hoping that even if it's one person out there can listen to this episode and have it relate to what they're going through and I can help one person, then my goal's been met. Because I think that a lot of what help prevents people from getting the help that they need in addressing this issue is the fear of what other people think and the fear of the unknown and really changing your life by quitting drinking. And I hope that my story can help others to see that it's possible to while you're, when you feel the despair, you feel like there's no hope, you feel 
beaten down that there is hope out there and that you can get the help that you need and that there are other women out there that know exactly what you're going through and are there for you. So the first thing I did before I recorded this I've been spending a few days really outlining my story. And I think that that it's an interesting activity. And I'll say, I think everybody should write an outline of their story because if someone generally asks me, oh, why did you think you had an issue with drinking? I don't think I would have started where I needed to because when you're writing down, well, when's the first time I first had a drink and really looking at things in detail, there's things that I wrote down that are standing out to me now that in hindsight, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe that was indicative of well, I didn't have a problem or think I had a problem then was really kind of a clue that I probably should focus on not drinking as much. But with that being said, my story, I will start with, you know, my childhood. Growing up, I have, I lived with my mom and my father and I had two sisters that were much older than me. So they didn't, I didn't grow up in the house living with them. My parents never drank. They never had alcohol in the house. Like just drinking was not their cup of tea. So I never grew up with people like really seeing drinking. So it was never something of really on my forefront of my mind as a child. When I got to college is when I first really started drinking. I went to a state school and it was about two hours from my house. It was the first time living away from my parents. And I think like most college kids, I drank when I was there. I would experience with parties, um, living on my own. It completely was different than being at home where my parents were pretty strict and had... I never was gone long without them being aware. I'll just say that. So when I'm away at college, what I would consider took what normal, and I use normal in quotes partying. But I also was able to balance my drinking and my schoolwork. I still felt strongly that school was really important to me. I knew that I wanted to be go to law school eventually. So I knew that I had to do well in school. So I look back at my college years. And while I did party and take part in binge drinking... I really did put my schoolwork first. I always made sure to be in the library, get my homework done and to not drink to the point that it affected my grades or my schoolwork. So then eventually I did go to law school right from undergrad. And when I went to law school, I lived in an apartment close to my parents' house, but I was on my own still. And I think law school, it was very similar that I have always had a strong drive for success. I've always had a strong drive that I really want to do well. I want to excel and get a good internship and to be a successful attorney. So again, I drank while I was in law school, but I never had an excess really relationship with alcohol. I would go to some parties, but I really put my school work first. And I also, like when it came to studying for the bar exam, I didn't drink and I was very focused on schoolwork. So this is where I think it gets interesting because so now at this point, we're talking about around 2010, I graduate from law school. And when I graduate from law school, I look back and I'm like, you know, there were signs there that when I first started working in my career, that drinking really started to take on really unhealthy habits for me. And what I mean by that is so... When I first graduated, I worked in a district attorney's office. And a lot of the times in the legal profession, happy hours and the partying after work is great. Like that's the, at the after 
work. A lot of the attorneys would go to the bar. That's where relationships are formed. That's where connections are made. And that's where you get to know other, you know, defense attorneys that you go against, other attorneys in similar fields. And it's really a lot of attorneys do just go to the bar after work, quite frankly. And I think what was interesting about where I worked was there's a lot of attorneys around the same age as me. So even in other offices in the immediate area, there were a lot of attorneys that were single, that were in their early 20s. So it was just a way that we all connected after work. And I did notice a trend where it would be on Fridays after work would be the big night out. We'd all go to the same bar. Everyone knew our name. We all went there. But then I could see a pattern where it also now was becoming Thursdays going out. And then some days it would be, okay, you have a night court and you're a court till nine o'clock at night. But then a bunch of the court staff and the attorneys will go to another local bar on like a Wednesday night. So what was one night a week quickly began to develop into other nights of the week. I don't think that I had a very good tolerance for drinking. I think that I just kept drinking and then I would always be sick and I just, you know, didn't feel great, but I was still in my 20s and to say bounce back rather quickly, I an understatement, but I did not want to miss out. I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to meet other attorneys. I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity of formulating friendships. I didn't want to not be included. And I really thought, you know, and at that point I was definitely a people pleaser. I'm deaf, still am working through that. But I also was like really concerned about what people thought of me and I always wanted to be feel included. So I would always go to the different bars and, you know, happy hours. At that time, I had met what, what my first husband and he was a police officer. So we kind of worked in similar fields where we would all hang out. And what was interesting is in the beginning of our relationship, he would always joke around like, oh, I feel like I'm corrupting you because we drink way more than clearly you are used to drinking, which at the time was true. And so now I'm hanging out with his group of friends and they're drinking a lot more. So like on Saturdays, we'd go to the bar and then Sundays watch football all day and go drink and whatnot. So I realized that a lot of now my activities with both work colleagues and my personal life, but also the groups intermingled, was drinking. I didn't think anything of it. I just enjoyed feeling included. And it just, that's just what you did. And I was married in 2014. And when I got married in 2014, I think that I knew it wasn't the right relationship for me. I knew that the marriage wasn't right. There were signs well, before I got married, there were signs that were screaming at me right before the wedding that I ignored. And then after we got married, I just felt myself going through the motions. I just, it wasn't the right relationship for me. And I found myself still after work, still going to happy hours with my colleagues, but I found myself wanting to stay longer. I found myself wanting to just not be at home as much because I think I just was miserable, but I didn't want to face the music that I had gotten married to somebody that I had no business marrying. And I found myself drinking more. And I think what was at this point was important for me to, I wish I noticed at the time was when I first started drinking with my coworkers, it was more about, oh, we're having fun and being included and being part of the celebration or the fun where now I had started to drink to kind of mask and 
bury my feelings where I was now starting to, well, not a lot, equate, oh, it's a bad day. Oh, I'm not really happy in my relationship. So I'm going to have something to drink. And while it was under control, that was the first time I used alcohol as a crutch. I used alcohol to kind of, to suppress my feelings and to ignore them. Well, as time passed, I just was really struggling. I could not ignore the fact that I was miserable. So after two years of being married, I, with really no plan, no plan, had declared one night, I'm done. I just absolutely cannot live in this situation anymore. I'm just miserable and I need to move. So I left without a plan, which in hindsight, probably not the smartest way, but I followed my gut literally spoke without me thinking. And I ended up moving into my own apartment on another side of town and I'm on my own. So at this point now, I'm on my own. I am in my early 30s. I am literally just switched jobs as well because I thought, okay, you know, maybe if I, I'm miserable, maybe if I switch my jobs, that will make me feel better. Maybe if I do a different area of law, maybe if I'm not with the same group of people, then everything will feel better. Well, now being on my own in my early 30s and single, I started to go out even more. I started to go out now looking to meet people. I started going out and drinking ways to socialize and make new friends at my new job. So a bunch of us from work again would go out after work. And it kind of took on more of a life of its own. But that's where I really noticed that, you know, my drinking didn't stop at the happy hours. I would frequently stop at a wine shop liquor store on the way home and buy another bottle of wine because now I'm in my own apartment. I'm by myself. I'm independent. You know, I no one's here to check me. And I'm drinking now at home more often than I ever had. And I found that it was just a regular thing. Like after work, you know, the workday would come to an end. A couple of colleagues of my own, oh, we're going to go to this one bar and grab a drink. Want to come? Absolutely. Of course I want to come. And I also noticed at that point, my habits were changing where I would normally go to the gym after work was now being replaced by these happy hours. And I saw it more as like, well, I'm in my 30s. Where am I going to meet people? I didn't really want to go online and do online dating. So in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to meet people out, which... Spoiler, is not a great idea. <laughs> so now it's around 2016, or sorry, 2018. And I'd been single for or separated for about a year and a half and my divorce was finalized. My dad got sick. And my dad and I have a very close relationship. A lot of, while I always prided myself on being, you know, an independent attorney and here I went through law school and was generally successful my dad would help me with basic things like my taxes. He would help me with, you know, my retirement paperwork. And if I ever had a question about certain things, my dad was my go-to. Like I would never really make any significant life decisions, even while married without running it by my dad. So he had gotten sick with pancreatic cancer and he died very soon, like within a few weeks of being diagnosed. And to say that I was not prepared is a huge understatement. A, it rocked me. It absolutely shook me to the core. And I did not know how to handle it. I did not handle it well. I did not know what to do. My dad was the strong one in our family. And I'm really confident to say that he held our family together. He was the core of our family. My mom had been with him since she was... Now he was 80 when he passed away. My parents had been together since their late teens. And he really he did everything for my mom. And it was just like, obviously it was very tough for my mother to now be on her own. And it happened very quickly. And it just left me in a place where 
I just felt abandoned. I felt like I did not have anyone that I could really turn to. I felt that I just, I felt alone. I, and I know I just, I just did not know what to do with myself. And I found that the more I felt depressed and devastated and unsure of how to handle my emotions, I turned to drinking. I used alcohol as a way to suppress my feelings. I used it to make me forget and not think about the devastation that I felt. I felt alone. I noticed myself not really even bothering to go to happy hours as much anymore. I would just go home and I would drink more. And I felt very isolated and I really wasn't sure what to do. So I did sign up for counseling and get back into therapy. But I also found that while I would go to therapy, I wasn't honest in therapy. I would go to my therapist. I would have very surface level conversations, but I would never really say anything that made me, as I would put it, look bad. That would really show like I wasn't the strong, independent person, that I was weak, that I had an issue. I did not... I wasn't honest. So I could, the therapy was a waste for me because if you're not honest and talk about your issues, they can't help you. And at this point in time, I was questioning my drinking. I was questioning my relationship with alcohol, but I was so caught up, so caught up in the idea of the stereotypical alcoholic. And I'm obviously not that person. That's not me. I have a good job. I have a really nice home. I make good money. I'm an attorney. I'm successful. I'm not what I would think like a homeless. I'm not like drinking out of a brown paper bag. I don't, I'm, you know, well-pepped. And I just was so consumed with trying to look for evidence to separate me from what an alcoholic looked like in my mind. Well, clearly I don't have an issue. I go to work all the time. Clearly I don't have an issue because I'm successful with my cases. You know, anything, any evidence that I would, evidence in quotes that I could find that made me feel or be able to justify my drinking being okay, I clung to. At this point in time, I started dating my partner who I'm with now. And it was really not a great time for me. I just was, and he lived a few hours away. So he didn't really know of my extent of my drinking. He drinks as well. So we would hang out and be together on the weekends and it'd be like football Sunday. So of course I'd like relish in those days and drink as well. And it was hard because I also had a secret of how much I drink, but not only was it a secret to him, but it was also a secret with myself. And what I mean is I wouldn't even admit it was an issue. So I'm constantly trying to ignore the fact that I have a problem. Well, eventually I decided to move to where he lives, which is a few hours from where I'm from. I moved to this area. I It was right before COVID. So I move up here. I start a new job. And of course, as somebody that you know, ignores issues. I love the idea of a new opportunity, fresh start. So I move here and I'm like, I'm in a new area, all these new people, new job. This is going to be great. This is exactly what I need. Forget the fact that I probably need to be honest with my therapist or really address the fact that I do have a drinking issue and I'm inappropriately coping with alcohol. No, I just ignore it and think this is my fresh start. New year, new me, new place to live. Here I go. So I move, I start my work, I, you know, really do enjoy it. For a while, things are good. I feel that things are hopeful. I thought I was doing better, but then slowly I noticed that, you know, for work, I started again in another district attorney's office. I started working primarily and solely usually on sex crimes and crimes where children are the victims. So now I'm already 
in a new area, don't really have a lot of local friends. I'm trying to make new friends. So I'm, who do you become friends with? These people that you work with and people in the same profession. And how do I cultivate these friendships? How do I meet people? Where do I go? Yes, happy hour in the bar. So I found myself again being emerged into the culture of going to work and then going to happy hour after court, going to happy hour after the day would be over and drinking. And I found that it would be one day a week, then it quickly escalated to multiple days a week. And then my partner would be like, I'd come home and he would not clearly not be impressed that I had been at the bar drinking. And he, it got to the point where rather than be honest, I would try to lie. And spoiler or free advice, they know when you're drinking, it's not worth lying. I would schedule, you know, every week I'd say this week's going to be different. I'm going to not drink during the week. I'm going to, you know, really do the right thing. I would schedule gym classes, but what do you know? I would cancel my gym classes, go to happy hour, lie again. I would come home, have more to drink. I would not take care of myself. And I found myself in this pattern. I felt like I was on a hamster wheel. I would have that 3 a.m. wake up where I would say, tomorrow is going to be different. Tomorrow is going to be great. Tomorrow is going to be the day that I don't drink. I go back to the gym. I eat well but I'd wake up, not feel so great, go to work, do a good job, but I still wouldn't feel myself. And rather than go to the gym or drink the water and take care of myself, I go back to a happy hour. So it was a cycle that I just felt like I could not get off of. And the worst that it began to feel and the worst that my relationship I felt was deteriorating at home because of my actions, I felt the need to be have this perfectionist persona at work. So I always would justify, well, the better I was, you know, I was, I am a good lawyer. I know that I was doing a good job. I was dealing with a heavy material, dealing with children all day and awful subjects. And I thought that this is, I'm doing well at work. So obviously I don't have a problem. I am getting successful pleas and successful outcomes in cases. So obviously I'm, I don't have a problem. I was very high functioning. I was able to hold conversation. I was definitely high functioning where I would hide how I felt. And I was so depressed at that point. I was depressed about my home life because I was, as much as I wanted to save it, I was self-sabotaging my relationship. And I knew that and I could see it. And I just felt like I was watching a bird's eye view. And I was like, I don't know how to fix this. But I know if I try to get help or if I try to do something, then... I'm going to, you know, my reputation at work is going to be ruined. I'm not, they're going to think that I'm a bad attorney. They're going to think I'm not good at my job. Where in reality, I knew I was good at my job. I knew that I was, I am a good attorney. But what I didn't recognize is, well, I'm good. I still could be better. And I did not get the help that I needed. I ignored it. And the worst part is I did talk to a couple of people, one girlfriend that also is an attorney. And I was like, I just feel like I need to do something. Like I need help or something. And her response mirrored my fear. It's small community, Melinda. You don't want people to know that you have a problem. You can't get help. You can't do that. You can't do anything. Just, just ignore it. And, you know, and problem is, is that those words, and I'm not trying to blame, but I grasped onto those words. I grasped on because I thought, well, if she doesn't think that this is something I need to work on, then obviously I'm fine. And I just am having a rough time right now and I will be okay. And it got to the point where I just felt 
like a shell. I felt like I didn't know who I was anymore. I felt completely alone. I felt that something had to give, that as much as I was afraid of people thinking less of me, I had to save myself. Like something had to give. I could not, while I was quote unquote still successful, I could not keep this up. Like there was never, it was never going to get better. It was never going to alleviate on its own. I needed to take some serious, serious action. So on September 9th, 2022, I quit drinking. I said, you know, as hard as it is for me, and I'm nervous about how it will affect my career and people, what they think of me, I need to save myself. And I had to keep repeating to myself, there's no shame in saving your own life because you need, like I had, I was wasting my opportunity. And I said, while I'm still doing well at work, I can do better. I don't need to feel exhausted all the time. I don't need to feel this 3 a.m. shame. I don't need to feel like I don't know who I am. So stereotypical me, and I mean, I've tried quitting drinking in the past. I'd gone a few months without drinking and done the moderation dance, which I you'll hear an episode on that coming up, my whole moderation cycles. I said, you know what? It's it. This is it. Like something has to give. I just can't drink anymore. It's over. I had reached out to a drinking coach online because I was still nervous about seeking help out locally. So I went online and I found a community of women that also were going through what I'm going through. And it was a life, complete life changer. I, in the last year, have really completely changed my life. I continued going to therapy, but the difference was I was honest. I have thrown myself into personal growth books. I have thrown myself into movement and to working out. And while I've never been somebody that's like, ooh, I can't wait to work out, I have to say that working out just does such wonders for my mental health. I have focused on drinking the water that I need to drink every day. I have focused on reaching out to communities, going to the online meetings that I'm a part of. I have done so much work on myself that it has been a lifesaver. While it has been hard, I'm not going to say it's been all peaches and roses. It has been a level of work and hard that I would do all over again because my life is so much better for it. I feel motivated again. I feel like I'm unstoppable. I feel like there's nothing I can't do or set my mind to. And along the way, I've learned so many lessons when it comes to, you know, friendships. I've lost friendships. I've gained new friendships. I've changed careers. I have completely changed my life. My relationship at home has completely changed because it also went from being in a really bad spot to being in a really good spot but also navigating, well, he still drinks. And a lot of the relationship, while the drinking played a really bad role in my our relationship and the issues, it also was something that we did together. It was something that was a part of date night. It was something that was a part of hanging out with our friends. And so that also has shifted in our relationship. It's affected my relationship with my stepdaughter. It has affected every area of my life has been touched in some way by me not drinking. And the real hopes of this podcast is that I want to share that. I want to go through with every, like with you, the hardships, like things I wish that I knew, but 
I obviously did not know and I learned them in real time, but also the things I'm still learning today because while I've been sober for 16 months, it doesn't, there's still things that happen that are new and there's still things that I want to talk out with other people. And I just, if I can share my experience with others and help anybody, that for me is worth it. Because if I knew the benefit of community, if I knew what I know now, I think that I would have made the jump a lot sooner to become sober and I would have been better off for it. And it's tough because I'm recording this podcast and am I afraid? Absolutely, I'm afraid. Well, probably in the beginning, it's going to be people listening to my podcast or people that I know out of support. But I haven't really shared my entire story with many people. I've shared it with my online sober community. I've shared it with some of my very close friends and my partner. But it's also, I haven't shared it with my colleagues. And this is something that my, I just never really had the... I, opportunity to really share my story. So it is something that is nerve wracking. And some of the episodes that I'm hoping to record and share with you will be nerve wracking as well. But I think that it's something that I want to grow with, with other people. And if I can share what I'm going through in real time and it helps somebody out there or gives them a little bit insight of something that, look, I learned this lesson and this is what I did that made it substantially easier. And it makes people think of even trying that and it working or even other things. I just hope that I can help somebody and reach somebody. So I appreciate you joining and listening to my episode today. There'll be hopefully many episodes coming forward. Some of the ones I've already recorded that will be coming out sooner rather than later evolve uh, about topics of shame and how shame played a role in my drinking and quitting drinking. And also my sober toolkit, things that I wish I knew when I quit that I that I know now. So hopefully this podcast resonates with somebody there out there and you enjoy this. And thank you. Thank you again for taking a chance on Women's Work, A Sober Perspective. Thank you so much for listening to Women's Work, A Sober Perspective. Did you like the conversation and what you heard and want to hear more? Well, make sure to subscribe and follow Women's Work, A Sober Perspective. But also, if you have any ideas of future episodes, please email podcastwomenswork at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you.